Well, when I was a pre-adolescent boy, I, uh, there was an, a, 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 an idea that was seeded in my imagination by a rerun of an episode of The Rifleman. You may remember that. Um, in this episode, uh, I remember that there were two teenagers that, and uh, honestly, at, at the time that I was watching it, they were not much older than I was at the time um, in that episode. And um, it, it really scared me because those two teenagers in this episode got, had gotten stuck in quicksand up to their necks, and they nearly died in the episode. And of course, you know, they cried out for help, and, and someone finally came and rescued them. Now, for me... The fear of getting stuck in quicksand was not some distant improbability. And perhaps like many of you, right, I grew up in an age without cell phones um, when kids like me on summer vacation left the house after breakfast on my skateboard with my friends and there was only one rule. You know what that one rule was? Yeah, well, you, did you grow up in my house? Yeah, get, be home by dinner, be home before it gets dark. That One rule, just be home for dinner. That was it. So my friends and I got into a lot of misadventures, and one place that we would um, go sometimes was in the shadow of Jet Propulsion Library, JPL, uh, in, the, in the catch basin of Devil's Gate Dam. Now that's an ominous name, Devil's Gate Dam. And um, long story short, uh, there were always these rumors that, that there were uh, parts of Devil's Gate Dam had quicksand. And of course, we were stupid enough on a regular basis to go there and explore and play and taunt death. Yeah. So quicksand, uh, what is quicksand? Quicksand is a gelatinous like sludge made up of sand and clay and water. And it's deceptive because uh, to the naked eye, it's camouflage and it looks like solid ground, but it's not. When a person can be deceived into thinking that they're walking on solid ground only to realize that <laughs> they're stuck. Like quicksand, there are areas in our lives, there are issues from our past that we feel stuck in. And sometimes it's just a truth of life. Sometimes we are in a season in our life where we just feel stuck. We get stuck in unresolved conflict. We get stuck in hurtful conversations. We get stuck feelings of resentment. And the repercussions of these things can affect our relationships with those we love most, and it can affect and threaten and or undermine our relationship with God. So in partnership with Pastor Cynthia and in partnership with Pastor Neil, today I'm launching a six-week series called Unstuck. And we three pastors are going to be examining areas in our lives, all of our lives, where we most commonly get stuck. And we'll study how the timeless truths of Scripture can help us get unstuck. So one common um, area in our lives that we have experienced or may be in the midst of experience, in experiencing is conflict. All of us at some time or another have been stuck in the quicksand of conflict, and there may be someone here today struggling with this. Um, and like those teenagers in that rerun of, of The Rifleman, uh, your inner spirit is crying out for help. So today, we're talking about resolving conflict and finding peace. Today's scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 30. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So we're looking today at a formula. And that formula adds up to conflict. And I cannot think of a better formula than what's been outlined in today's scripture. Conflict, according to today's scripture, equals lying plus anger plus stealing plus cursing and what I'm calling talking trash. Those four things are a strong basis. Now, are there other things that could um, add to this equation with regards to generating conflict in our lives? Absolutely. But these four things, honestly, uh, is a strong start for leading to conflict. In fact, I would say you could take two things out of it. You could take actually three things out of it. Any one of these things could lead to conflict in our lives. So talk about a fast track to making enemies and offending others. What I want to do now is correlate these behaviors to the emotions or the responses that correspond with that behavior. So if we can go to the next <coughs> slide, I want to talk first about lying. Right? So if someone's been lying to you, how do you how does that how, how do you appropriate that into your life? Well, you, we are often would just, if, if you know someone's been lying to you, we're going to respond with, we're, we're not going to trust them anymore. Distrust. So lying, well, let's go to the next one. Anger, right? If there is anger that's being directed at you, if you're experiencing anger um, coming towards you, um, I think the little child in us all gets scared by anger, um, and we may get defensive. Let's go to the next one. Stealing. Um, certainly if you know someone's been stealing from you, your trust in them is going to go down. Distrust. And then I wrote, uh, I also came up with vulnerable and unsafe. That might be a surprise to some of you. Stealing versus vulnerable and unsafe. The reason why I did that is because um, as I was thinking about it, I, I remembered a, a time um, when my wife uh, um, was living in a studio apartment in Pasadena. And I remember she and I, it, it, was, it was late. We had gone to a late night movie or something. And we had... Uh, come back to her apartment, and the studio was not very big. <laughs> and I remember, I, I, I mean, it's so distinct in my mind's eye because she was, I was on her, a step behind her and to her left. And she took her key, she opened up the door, and she stepped in and took two steps in, and she quickly looked around and said, my apartment has been broken into. And, you know, I was like, how, are you sure? And she's like, things are out of place. I was like, Okay, so she went straight into the closet and dug around and came out and said, I, that, I, apparently that's where she hid her most valuable possessions, <laughs> and she came out and said, uh, it, it's been broken into. Now, the most disturbing thing about that for us, especially watching her, was, um, wasn't the fact that things have been stolen. Ma you know, materials, jewelry basically had been stolen. She goes, the materials, the jewelry can be replaced. She goes, a single female living in an apart a studio apartment in Pasadena, the, the most disturbing thing about it is there was no sign of forced entry. And so she quickly was looking around going, 
someone came in here with a key. Um, and all of a sudden, she felt unsafe, and she felt vulnerable. So that's why I added that in there. Um, what's the next one? Cursing. Um, of course, if we all are hammering a nail and we hit our thumb, we might let something slip. What I'm talking about is people, you know, that just their whole vocabulary is peppered with cursing. And it, it's defensive. <clears throat> it's like nails on a chalkboard. What's next? <clears throat> Trash talk, right? If people are talking behind your back and you know, you hear about it, know about it, it, it ends up, we appropriate that as, as hurt. Now, the next thing I want to do is I want to take the left-hand column off the picture. Next slide. Now, just look at those words for a moment. Distrust, hurt, offended, scared, defensive. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But if you can relate to any of those emotions, maybe today, maybe this week, maybe in the last month, it's possible, right, that you're actually experiencing conflict in your life today. Again, I hate being the bearer of bad news. Now, I've approached conflict as if we're the victim of these behaviors. But God forbid if we're the aggressor. God forbid if we're the source of these emotions in the lives of others. God forbid if we're the, per the perpetrators of conflict. All right, so I just told a story about how as a little kid I used to skateboard everywhere with my friends, get into some trouble. Never got, never got, just to finish that story, I never got caught in quicksand, thank goodness. Um, if you know me, this is not going to surprise me, you, but if you don't know me, this may surprise you. I still skateboard. Here's a picture of me skateboarding. This was actually taken Father's Day a year ago. Um, now, the reason why I show you this picture is just if you could, if possibly you could zoom in. Look at the shoes I'm wearing in that picture. I loved those shoes. I, when I got those, those were Vans shoes. This is the aftermath, and I'll talk about that in a second. But like, I, when I first bought those shoes, they were Vans shoes. They were brown. I wore them to work for like two years. But there came a day where like, it, I couldn't wear them to work anymore, so they got downgraded to skateboarding. Now, I take my skateboarding pretty seriously. It's like some people like golf. I skateboard. And, and with anything, you know, with whatever you're interested in, there's a certain amount of just you, you take care of your equipment because you want to be the best you can, right? So for me, like skateboarding and shoes have a relationship. So I'm downgrading them away from work and I start skateboarding. Now, what happens to skateboarding shoes, I got to show this to you if you're not familiar with skateboard. This is a skateboard, brought show and tell. And, and this is grip tape. Grip tape is basically sandpaper with, on a sticker that's stuck to the board. Grip tape destroys your shoes. So... You, I get on the skateboard with those shoes, and for like a while, I, I, my feet stick to the board. I can do things. But as the, the shoe starts rubbing on that sandpaper, it's literally wearing off the rubber of the bottom on the sole. So I start slipping, start falling more, right? Well, that's not good. Also, I mean, what happens is that, you know how like shoes, that, that rubber is all soft and when you buy them, but then if you put them out in the sun for a while, it, that rubber gets hard and starts cracking and stuff? So that's, you can actually see that, some of that going on. You, can't, you can kind of see, I really love these shoes. 
because I'm, I find myself really talking about shoes. The, the big, the, my big toe started actually breaking through the leather. You can't really tell, but right there, it's, it's showing. And then the other thing that amazes me, I'm still amazed by this, is look at the shoelaces, man. For some reason, shoelaces get destroyed skateboarding. I don't understand it. And you will go to skate parks and look around, and there are like shoelaces. Skateboarders have appropriated shoelaces into like fashion. They use them as belts and stuff. You go around uh, skate parks, and there's like, there's pieces of, of uh, shoelaces around. So anyways, you can see on the right hand, uh, up in the right hand, like I started trying to put it together. I picked up a, another shoelace and tried to fix it. Here's the point. Number one, yes, I loved these shoes. But there came a point where they no longer functioned for me anymore, right? They had served their purpose. They were great for skateboarding, but there came a day, as much as I loved them, Oh, man, the reason why I have a picture of these shoes is this is the day that I threw them away. I know. It, like, oh, it still breaks my heart. Like, like, so I like, oh, I got to throw these away. They're no longer useful for me anymore. And I like took a picture. And then after taking this picture, I literally walked out to the trash can. And, Bye-bye, shoes. It was trash day. And they... Bye-bye, shoes. Now, here's the point. There are certain things in our lives that have gotten us so far, maybe certain behaviors in our lives that have gotten us to where we are today, but they no longer function for us anymore. Does that make sense? So, so today, there's, you just got to get rid of them because they're no longer working for you anymore. And so number one on your outline, I'll give you the fill-in first and then talk about it. The path towards peace, the path away from conflict and the path towards peace is getting rid, Scripture today says, getting rid of the old self. There comes a time when the equipment, or put it another way, there comes a time when our mode of behavior isn't going to work anymore. And so if you're functioning in ways in which you're lying, in which you're behaving in, with anger, you're stealing, you're, you're cursing, and all of these things may be actually something that you use as leverage with people to manipulate them, to get what you want. There comes a time when it doesn't work anymore. And scripture is telling us, get rid of your old self. Now, I'm actually going to take it one step further and say, I got to pick up the skateboard for this. But there comes a time, the, the scripture today actually works as a red flag. Because some of us, like me, like I'm riding on the skateboard and life is good. But let's call these the four wheels of the skateboard. We've got anger, we've got lying, we've got stealing, we've got cursing and trash talk. Those are the four wheels of your skateboard. The scripture goes on to say in verse 22, Put off your old self. Get rid of the old self. Like the old pair of shoes, get rid of it. They're no longer functioning for you. But here's the red flag. It says, which is being corrupted. Which is to say, some of us may very well know that these things don't work. And we've gotten rid of them already. But there may be some of us here today who are like still functioning in these modes thinking they work for you. But what the scripture is telling us is like the four wheels, it's like, in my mind's eye, I'm kind of seeing like a cartoon where you're riding a skateboard and the wheels are falling off the, from underneath you and you're heading towards a cliff. Uh, in cartoons, it's usually a car. The, you know, the, cars, the wheels go, and the car goes, and then off the cliff. That's the warning that it's saying, get rid of your old self, which is being corrupted. The sooner you jump off the skateboard, 
get rid of that, the better you'll be. So the path towards peace gets rid of the old self. And Paul goes on to say, then the path towards peace takes on a new self. In other words, the path that avoids conflict requires taking on the new self. Verse 24, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So the old self is being corrupted even as we speak and leads to destruction. And the new self is leading us on a path towards righteousness, towards holiness. In other words, the the new self is taking us to who God wants us to be. We may not be there yet, but that new path takes us in the direction and recreates us into who God wants us to be. So the opposite of conflict is peace. And today's scripture is encouraging us to cultivate four things. Four things that we're encouraged to cultivate. They're speaking the truth, speaking wholesome and encouraging words, controlling our anger, and lastly, contributing. And that's in in contrast to instead of stealing. So speaking the truth, speaking wholesome and encouraging words, controlling our anger, and contributing. Now, in order to respect our time together this morning, I'm only going to address two of these. And the two that I'm going to address are anger and wholesome talk. One of the reasons I chose anger, I actually have two reasons, but one is that Paul spends almost most, more time kind of addressing anger than any of the other things. Uh, we'll get that, in, get that into, a moment, uh, into that in a, a moment. Um, anger, I, I also chose anger because I know there's a, a lot of us that struggle with anger. And so I, uh, maybe 2,000 years ago it's true, and today it's true. Anger is an issue for many people. And wholesome talk, we'll get into that in a moment. So Paul writes three different, um, you know, he gives us advice and gives us uh, three different things to consider. In, in the scripture today, it, it, in quotes, it says, in your anger, do not sin. So Paul is quoting, he's actually quoting Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. Paul writes, in your anger, do not sin. Now, check that out. I just talked about getting rid of the old self and how anger is something that we want to get rid of. And then the first piece of advice that Paul gives is, in your anger, do not sin. You know what that implies? Not all anger is sinful. So how do we discern, when we're angry, whether we're in the zone of, you know, the red zone of sin, or whether it's okay? Well, the only thing I could think of, that's not true, um, the only example I, I could think of is the idea of righteous anger. That there are certain things that are truly bad, that are truly evil, that need to be addressed. And there are times that that generates anger within us. And so the example that uh, I thought of with regards to our own American history was Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement, um, in which, right, all of those civil rights leaders were working towards something that was truly evil in our country and trying to make the lives of black Americans better in our country, but in the end, I would argue, working to make our whole country better. So that is righteous anger, as opposed to anger that is totally in the red zone of, of sinning. And I think when, when that would be is when we use anger as a weapon, 
when we use anger as a, as a means of manipulating others in order for our selfish gain. Now, the reason why I pointed out this, that this is a quote from Psalm 4, uh, verse 4, is that that verse goes on. And it, it kind of alludes to, it first says, do not let anger, uh, do not, do not, well, let me start all over again. <laughs> in anger, do not sin. And then it goes on to say, like, so when you lay in bed at night, contemplate, contemplate whether your anger is sinful. It kind of implies like laying in bed and being basically um, self-evaluating. Look inward and try to look at your anger and try to figure out, is this righteous anger or is this sinful anger? Now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, literally, it's basically, Psalm chapter 4 is basically saying, sleep on it. <laughs> Before you act, sleep on it. And I've, I've done that, and there, I can't tell you, most times in my life, it is not righteous anger, <laughs> right? When I've slept on it, when I've prayed about it, I wake up in the morning, and I'm thinking, hmm. And a lot of times, God is like, there are times where God just says, let it go. Put it behind you. Move forward. And there's other times where God's like, you know, actually, dude, it's, it's your fault. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm i got to humble myself and go, sorry. And sometimes God's moving to me like, okay, it's more, now that you understand it's not them, it's you, you've got to go talk to that person or you need to talk to those people and talk it out and talk it through. So that anger sometimes is, is completely um, misplaced. And sometimes in the, in the storm of it all, we're, we're just deceived and confused. And so... Um, that's, so Paul's advice is, is from the Old Testament, Psalm uh, chapter 4, and it's basically saying, in your anger, do not sin, think about it, and then act. Um, second piece of advice Paul gives, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, to make this example, now, that, now this is a time-sensitive thing, right? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's a time thing. Now, Let's say I've got a problem with one of you. I'm going to choose Mark Gupton because he's right there. I'm going to pick on you. And man, he's just pushing all my buttons. And I'm making a list in my mind and in my heart. And I'm writing, yeah, yeah, he's from Mark Gupton. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, if I let the sun go down on my anger, that means that tomorrow, when Mark pushes more buttons, I can write more things with this marker on my bat. And, and then I let the sun go down on my anger another day. And this goes on for like, what, a week, two weeks, a month? Yeah, Mark's open to it. Right, I'm writing my list. And after a month, it's like, come on, Mark. Come on, Mark. You ready? Push my button one more time because I'm going to whack you with this. Right? Now, what I love about this is the, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So Mark can push all my buttons, and let's take this. This is a, a popsicle stick. How much can I really write on this? And then Mark pushes my, and then maybe I flip it over. Oh, and then the sun goes down. Okay, now what? Okay, Mark, let's talk about this. I'm going to hit you with this. You think you can take it? Let me show you how much this hurts. It, right? This is much more digestible. And if you don't let the sun go down on your anger, it, allows, it doesn't allow your accounts to get so long that you're going to end up you know, hurting someone but you can deal with it, and deal with it uh, in a healthy, measurable way. So do not let the sun go down 
while you're still angry. And then lastly, Paul writes with regards to anger, do not give the devil a foothold. A another way in terms of the context of what Paul's writing, we could, I'm going to just rephrase it. Do not, let, do not give anger a foothold. In the year 1520, one person stepped off a, Sp a Spanish galleon ship onto the continent of Mexico. 1520, one person, and that man was a soldier under the lead leadership of Panfilio de Narvaez. And that one soldier happened to be fighting smallpox. That one man caused a smallpox epidemic and caused the deaths of thousands of people on mainland Mexico. That soldier didn't know it, but wherever he went, he was exposing people to this new disease which, to which they had no immunity. Thousands of people died because that one person stepped off a ship onto a continent. And in the same way, Paul's basically saying, you know, do not allow a foothold for your anger. Because once you let it in, it can do so much damage in your own heart, in your own soul, and in the lives of others. So that's conflict. Do not let the devil get a foothold. Let's talk about wholesome talk and practicing encouragement. Now on this topic, I want to share with you an article that I, I found in Psychology Today written by Dr. Newberry and a, a, a guy named Mark Waldman. And the title of the article is The Most Dangerous Word in the World. Um, I've got it on the screen so that if, uh, if you're not looking in your U version, it's referenced there, please write it down. This is, to me, this is a fascinating article. And it starts out, what is the most dangerous world, word in the world? They have done tests where they've put people into MRI machines. And then in this test, they've flashed words in front of them. And then they've mapped on the MRI what happens in a person's brain when these words come up. So the word is no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some of this. Uh, so if you're in an MRI machine and the word no is flashed for you, uh, in front of you for less than a second, on the MRI what you see is a sudden release of dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters. These chemicals immediately, immediately start to interrupt normal functioning of your brain, impairing logic, reason, language processing, and communication. Now, start connecting this to anger and arguments and all that kind of stuff. It, it, this is amazing. So one word for less than a second generates all of this. Um, seeing a list of negative words on that screen for just a few seconds will uh, take someone who's already anxious or depressed and cause them to feel worse. Um, and the more a person ruminates on that list of words, the more uh, is done to key, key structures uh, that regulate memory, more damage, feelings, and emotion, causing disruptions, I mean, right, we've all been upset, causing disruption in sleep, appetite, and the ability to exercise long-term, um, and it can experience long-term happiness and satisfaction. This is, to me, this article's uh, so interesting. These are just seeing the words on a screen. They did the same test, but then they started vocalizing it. So someone would say the word no. And I, I, I'm well aware that by saying it right now, all of these things are happening in you right now. <laughs> when someone vocalizes the word no, the same stress chemicals are released. 
but not only in the person who hears them. Sorry, I've just done damage to you. Guy, I'm really like doing a lot of bad, more, more harm than good right now. Um, but it also does damage in the person who says the word. And that's just the word no. Um, and uh, again, uh, producing destructive um, neurochemicals. Um, and for children, they are even more vulnerable. Um, and it can cause emotional tor turmoil. Now, um, so uh, two things I'm going to highlight. The first is, in, from this article, is that negative thinking is self-perpetuating. Which means to say, when you start in an, a negative spiral, it's a downward spiral that feeds on itself. Um, so, so it's self-perpetuating. The second thing um, is... Hold on. When a person uh, turns negative thoughts and worries into positive affirmations, the communication process improves and the person regains. So the good news is that it can be stopped, but it has to start with, with positive language. Here's this. This is the second thing I want to highlight. So number one, negative spiral. Number two, um, the founders of positive psychology have discovered that we need to generate at least three positive thoughts for every one expression of negativity. So two things, negative spiral, and number two, it can be stopped, but what does it require? It's a ratio, this is what I want you to remember, a ratio of three to one, three positives to every negative. Wow. Friends, do you understand? Like we were just talking about anger. We were just talking, and what, what kind of words are used when we're angry? How, and I mean, I, I hate to say it, but like how much in this world, when we read the headlines, when we watch the news, so, so on and so forth, right? There's so much negativity in this world. In order for us to just equalize it, not like gain ground, but equalize it, it takes three positives for every negative that we hear and are processing. <laughs> so this is why, uh, friends, our faith is so important to us. Because we are the carriers of hope. We are the, we are the ambassadors of hope, of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And think how much good we can do in the world. And it doesn't, we don't necessarily have to change the world. We just, someone opens the door for you. Thank you so much. Find the things that people are doing and doing well. And don't just go... Take a moment to actually say something positive. And we've got to say it three times more to the, than the negatives that's going on. We've got a big job ahead of us as people of faith. So, so, get rid of the old self and take on the new self. It's not easy. It's actually going to be a lot of work. But it's on the path. That puts us on the path to who God wants us to become. Uh, number three. And I'm going to close on this. The path towards peace requires the Holy Spirit. Now, I say, this is so important because God doesn't expect us to be, we get rid of the old self and we take on the new self, but God doesn't expect us to be perfect like that. In fact, what God really just expects of us is to do our best. Now, doing our best is not perfection. So how do you make up for the gap? We don't, but God does. And God does through the presence of his Holy Spirit at work in us. God comes alongside us. And as we're seeking to do our best, God is working uh, on us and working through us. There's a story of an accomplished artist 
she was a sculptor, and um, she was working on this sculpt. She was a sculptor, and she was working on a sculpture. <laughs> That's fun. Um, big bronze, beautiful thing. Um, but she was working on it, and, and she's filing away, and she's polishing, and, and she's rubbing off ru the rough edges and so forth. And someone came up to her and was kind of watching for a while and said, well, when are you going to be done? And she said, I'm never done. I keep doing this until someone takes the sculpture away from me. And that's God's Holy Spirit at work in our lives. God is polishing us. God is scraping off our rough edges. God is, continues to work on us until our time has come. You're never going to be perfect, but God expects us to be our best, and God's Holy Spirit continues to work on us and through us so that we become who he wants us to be. Let's pray.